This is Body Count, a horror movie podcast, with your hosts, Trent Scott and Graham Asher. <laughs> And welcome to Body Count, your home for all things creepy, crawly, ghouly, gory, or anything else that goes bump in the night. I am Trent Scott, and he is Graham Ashley. Hey, Trent, what's up? And happy new year to you and our listeners. Um, if you're like most of us, I'm sure you're glad to leave 2020 behind in the hopes, dare I say hopes, that 2020 will be a better year. And we'll be giving you guys Body Count episodes all year long. That is indeed the goal, you know. Uh, but for me personally, New Year's is a bit of an interesting time because for the listeners who are unaware, you see, my birthday just happens to coincide with the New Year. I'm, I'm January 3rd, uh, baby. So Yeah, you beat me to it, Trent. I was going to say for me and, of course, our listeners, happy birthday, Trent. Um, I'm not going to ask how old you turned. 31. I'll volunteer the information. 31. <laughs> 31. Yeah, you're basically a New Year's baby, um, yeah. which is an interesting time. So 31's a good number because I'm respectably adult, but still young enough that I don't I don't feel too bad. Yeah, this is um so I turned 35 this year, and I will no longer be able to say that I'm in my early 30s. I will be oh, in no, my mid-30s. Oh no, you're firmly in the mid. <laughs> so you are in your early 30s. So uh enjoy it, sir. Now for our listeners here. Graham, being the amazing co-host that he is, has actually sent me <laughs> a birthday gift. Now, I'm about to open this. I have no idea what's inside this box. Yes. I'm take a quick gander to see what Graham sent me for my birthday. Yeah, giving a play-by-play, Trent is holding some scissors awkwardly. Trying, trying to... not to cut myself. <laughs> yeah, trying not to cut himself and trying to cut into this box. Um, and I'm really excited about the surprise here. So I sent it, uh, didn't get to be with them on his birthday, was feeling under the weather, but was able to send this. Let's clarify, it was not COVID when you say yes. the weather these days. No. That's a very important disclaimer. I had a, a stomach bug or I had like a five-day hangover. <laughs> One of the two. All right, we're almost there. Got one piece of tape left to get off. Okay. We're in the box. Let's see what we got in here. Oh, that's amazing. It is a hand-painted Michael Myers doll. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's a hand-painted Michael Myers, which is Trent's favorite. Um, I don't know, it's your favorite horror movie franchise, correct? Yeah. I, knew, I know Michael Myers is your favorite dude. It's a bobblehead. Yeah. And it's hand-painted. This is pretty cool. This will definitely go on my desk here where I record. So I'm now opening the package so I can actually get him out. Uh, You're not going to keep it in box, Mint? (laughs) Sorry. I know all the collectors out there are like losing their minds right now, but no. I'm more of the display type. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. I was really tempted to open it. I actually did... uh, Look in there, but it was all styrofoam, so I was like, dang it. Yeah. 
And I actually somehow managed to not make a total mess with the styrofoam. But here we go. <laughs> Michael Myers has been free. He's out of the sanitarium. He's about to wreck havoc. Pulling him out of the plastic bag here. Maybe I'll upload this clip to – maybe we'll start a YouTube channel. Maybe this yeah. will be our first clip. Yeah, let me see if I'll get um, – we'll definitely put a picture on at Body Count Show on Instagram. Look at that. That's and there crazy. he is, the Michael Meyer bobblehead. Yeah, he's got uh, obviously the mask on. With his sister's tombstone, <laughs> Judith Myers, we have right here. We got the the uh, jack o' lantern, which of course the opening credits, and then, well, that's just a blank tombstone there, but so cool. <laughs> the uh, the the details with the Judith Myers. That's a that's yeah, a nice isn't that touch. cool? Yeah, I like the. I mean, it looks exactly like him. They they painted the mask well, and the hair's yeah, good. Look at that! Look at that face. It's actually really good detail on on the face in particular. So. Sweet. Glad you liked it. Great way to start the show. And uh, it's probably about the only great thing we're going to be talking about today, <laughs> Graham, because, spoiler alert, everyone, we watched New Year's Evil from 1980. Yes, with keeping with our theme, if you guys haven't noticed, on Halloween, we did Halloween, Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th. We did Krampus on Christmas. And Trent. There wasn't a ton of movies to choose from for the New Year's Eve Not a thing. lot of New Year's <laughs> movies. And to be fair, I was more aware of the title of this movie. I had never seen it before. Yes, so I didn't same. really know what I was signing us up for when we went on this voyage <laughs> last time. Yeah, so before we jump right into the plot where we can really give our opinions and, and discuss this, I'm ready for Trent's one-sentence synopsis Um comical synopsis i would say of this film. how dare you <laughs> i put my heart and soul into these <laughs> new year's evil tells the tale of richard sullivan a man ringing in the new year the best way he knows how <laughs> oh yes that is amazing oh the misunderstood richard sullivan we'll talk a lot about him he was sick man mental illness is no joke he is the <laughs> victim here uh, let's jump right in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the movie opens up. We get a nice shot of Hollywood. We're in downtown. It's New Year's Eve, of course. If you didn't catch it by the title, it's New Year's Eve. And we meet the star of our movie here. Her name is Diane. But you see, Diane is a radio host who goes by the name Blaze. And frankly, Blaze is a hell of a lot cooler. So from here on out, the rest of the review, I will only be referring to her as Blaze. Fair enough? Yeah, that is totally fair. I, I, I called her Blaze throughout my synopsis as well. Um, yeah, how would you describe her radio show, Trent? So this is 1980. Um, would this be like the, the peak of punk, um, Sex Pistols, things like that? I mean, yeah, I know we weren't alive during that yeah. time, but, but they're definitely, it's definitely a radio show for like a punk rock kind of alt- why should I describe the show when the movie did it for us? Okay, perfect. Let's do it. The name of the show is Hollywood Hotline, and it is a top 10 countdown of all your new wave hits. Awesome. New wave music, which is so weird to watch 40 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't alive in 1980, but man, y'all made some bad decisions. Yes. Um, it's full on 80s. We'll get into the hopefully into some of the 80s fun. Um, but, but just imagine if we could paint you a picture here. You've got um, big hair, 
a lot of leather jackets, and everybody smokes cigarettes. <laughs> what else is going on? Yeah, like you said, very, very 80s. But uh, anyway, so we meet our lead character, Blaze, played by Roz Kelly. Now, Graham, are you familiar with Roz Kelly? I am now, but I wasn't before. And Well, let me say I was very familiar with Roz Kelly because, see, I grew up watching a lot of reruns on television. And one of my favorite shows to watch was Happy Days. And Ross Kelly played the Fonz's girlfriend, Pinky Tuscadero. Yeah, I saw that on her credits. It's, she's only credited on IMDb for th- three parts. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was so a So Fonzie loves Pinky part one, part two, and part three. So she had like a little yeah, guest a starring repeating role. arc, yeah. She wasn't like a regular character, but it was a very memorable arc. Yeah, um, I'm very aware of Happy Days. I've probably seen it in passing but not not super familiar with uh, all the episodes sorry for anybody i disappointed there well uh taking a cue from happy days you might say her career jumped the shark after after this movie <laughs> Fonz um, jumped the shark <laughs> anyway so blaze she is the host of hollywood hotline so she's in her hotel room they're doing a, a live remote for those of you not in the biz like me yeah, a remote. <laughs> this is this is familiar territory for for Trent over here. <laughs> a remote is when you do a broadcast from a remote location, aka not your regular studio. In this case, they're doing a New Year's Eve special at a glitzy hotel in Hollywood. So, Blaze is in her room getting ready, and she uh, calls her friend Yvonne, who never really explained what her role on the show is, but presumably she's like a producer or something. Yeah. So. I can shed some light on this. So Blaze is like wanting to see a press release and stuff. So I'm a public relations person. That's what public relations people do. So she's her PR person or her publicist. Look at this. We're just giving everybody a free education (laughs) on media and PR. That's right. That's what you folks come to body count for, right? (laughs) Not the blood and guts. Yeah. So she's talking on the phone to Yvonne, and the whole time Yvonne is talking, we see the water is dripping in a shower, in Yvonne's shower. It's kind of annoying Yvonne. So she keeps trying to turn it off. And then eventually Yvonne hears a sound at the door. So she goes to check the door. There's nobody there. But we, as viewers, see that the door actually opened. Uh, so she goes back to the bathroom. She, uh, she gets off the phone, and we see the water dripping one last time. And we just see a mouth cover or hand cover her mouth and ring that bell. That's number one. We haven't even gotten to the opening credits yet, but Yvonne has just gotten stabbed to death. Yeah. Um, I body count number one, Yvonne in the shower. So like it, it implies her death. Oh, she's <laughs> dead. And, yeah. and this would be confirmed in the dialogue later. And we yes. would actually see, uh, well, Yvonne made another appearance later. We'll get to. <laughs> yes. So yeah, like you said, Opening credit, before opening credits, we have body count number one. Now, I also made a note here, and I'm curious what your thought on this is, is the whole time Yvonne is like trying to, to like check the water or whatever, we keep hearing a sound effect that to me, I heard it and I go, man, that sounds like a blatant ripoff of Friday the 13th. Yes. So then I did it's, a little. Yeah, go ahead. So then I did a little digging. I was like, well, wait. Well, how does that timeline even work? So I looked it up. Friday the 13th was released in May of 1980. This movie was released in December of 1980. So I was like, oh, so it couldn't have been a knockoff. 
But then I did some more research. It turns out this movie was slam bam, thank you, ma'am, and out of production. This movie was shot in October and released in December. So yes, Dude. indeed, I believe that this was an intentional ripoff of Friday the 13th because this movie was, was shot five months after Friday the 13th was released. Okay, first of all, you have to shoot it, edit it. <laughs> yep. Print it, release it, advertise yeah, this is, it. Remember, this is the 80s, so this is not like, you're, you're not sending an MP4 file to movie theaters. There's no. a lot of work involved. And this yeah. thing was shot and released in two months. I mean, even, they're, they're editing on film at this, right? Like, that's, yeah. it's not I mean, they're literally cutting, we, I mean, yeah. literally, they're cutting tape. It's yeah, rolls exactly. of tape that they're cutting and splicing together. So, wow. Um, yeah, so it was, it was definitely rushed. Um, yeah, quick bloody bit here. So, because of the success of Halloween, and because of the success of Friday the 13th, and, and um, there might have been another one before this, maybe Black Christmas. So Black they, Christmas. yeah, so they wanted to jump in and try to jump on the success of another holiday. And that's where you get New Year's Evil. So yeah, this was definitely put together as a, would you call it a cash grab, Trent, or? A blatant one. <laughs> okay. And by the way, they didn't spend a whole lot of cash making it, which is why it's even bigger of a cash grab. This is a low <laughs> yeah. budget. Yes, and I will discuss some of that. Um, not the budget per se, but just, yes, the quality of the film. So from there, we actually get our opening credits. We see a bunch of people out partying in Los Angeles for New Year's. And in particular, we focus on a group of punks. And that's not me calling people punks. These are actual punks. Yeah, they're punk rockers, like we mentioned uh, uh, you know, they look like Sid Vicious. That's a good, good point. So <laughs> credits end and the punks uh, pull up to the hotel where the show is being done. They start coming in, forming a crowd. We go back upstairs to check in on Blaze and her son Derek has arrived. And Derek's very excited to share some news. And well, Blaze, frankly, is just not interested. Dude, um, if, yeah, so he, he arrives with a, a bouquet of roses. Yes, and he's he even really, flowers. <laughs> and he's really excited to tell her some really important news for him, Trent, that he has landed the role, the starring role of, uh, I'm guessing, a TV series. Sounded like a TV show. And she's just like, not having it. She's ignoring him. She's I got a like, show to do. <laughs> it's like, she's like, what'd you say? And he's like, oh, about my show. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, that's nice. We'll talk about that later. So she totally dismisses him. And you can tell that it is bothersome for Derek. Uh, for Derek. So then she gets ready to leave the room and go do the show. And she asks him, well, do you want to come watch? He's like, no, I don't want to watch your show. No, you just pumped me. <laughs> like, no up. pun intended. <laughs> so uh, next up, we actually go downstairs. It is time for Hollywood Hotline. The party and the show is beginning uh, like I said, it's a new wave countdown show, and they have uh, it's actually a triple remote because they're broadcasting out of Hollywood, but they all I, I guess I should say it's a quadruple because they have a remote in each time zone. So they're in Hollywood, but there's also broadcast set up in New York for the east, Chicago in the central, and Aspen for the mountain time zone. Yeah, um, like you said, it's covering all the time zones and. I thought Aspen was a weird choice. I don't, I don't. I guess Aspen was popular. There's not a whole <laughs> lot of choices for the mountain time zone. What do you I mean, mean even Salt Denver. <laughs> I don't think they party that hard in Salt Lake. Yeah, well, they don't end up partying sure hard in Aspen either. I'm not sure the Mormons even make it to midnight on New Year's. 
If we have any Mormon listeners, I'm sorry. I kid sorry. because I care. <laughs> yeah, so like immediately we're like, oh, this is they're they're letting it be known that this is a big deal, right? Because if it's if it's just a local show, you're not gonna have simultaneous broadcasts throughout the country, people excited right. about it. So yeah. So uh it's a, it is actually a call-in show as well. So they get Which a phone is weird, right? Yeah, they get a phone call. And so so here's here's something I, I should say that's interesting is so the Yvonne kill scene, they like made a point to not show the killer. But here they immediately show us the killer's face. Now we don't know who it is at this point, but we get a clear <laughs> shot of the killer's face. He's using uh, a voice box kind of like uh, we saw in Scream where it's it's hiding his voice. But he much worse. Much worse. worse. <laughs> As, I mean, it's a 15-year difference in technology. Um, so he identifies himself as evil. And he yeah. tells... Uh, sorry, Blaise, Trent, real quick. I'm not, I wanna, sorry to derail you, but he does identify himself as evil, but he says it as evil. <laughs> so horny. Yes. yes, so bad. So, so evil tells Blaze that I'm going to kill someone you know at midnight. She's like, what? And then he proceeds to tell her that he is going to kill someone every hour with the corresponding time zone. So he's going to kill somebody at midnight, Eastern, Central, Mountain, and finally on the West Coast where she's at. He's going to murder for each time. Yeah, um, pretty pretty seditious little, little call there. Yeah. So Blaze, being the professional that she is, kind of blows off the call, but she is uh, immediately spooked. So she goes back, she talks to her manager and says that she wants some police protection. So from there, we see Evil, our soon-to-be killer, or I guess we can already assume he's Yvonne's killer, though we didn't physically see him do it. We we can assume he is. Uh, He is hanging out uh, in the back of well, we don't really know yet, uh, in the back of a building. And a worker at the, at the building goes to throw out the trash. And so he sneaks in to the kitchen. And from there, we see, you know, he's a relatively handsome guy. He runs into a nurse. So we're at some kind of hospital or hospice or something. We're still not totally sure. Right. But he starts flirting with the nurse. He pulls out a bottle of champagne. And he convinces her, hey, let's go somewhere private. Let's enjoy this. It was a good year after all. <laughs> yeah, she's a pretty hot nurse. Um, dressed in, I don't know, like, it looks like a Halloween costume, honestly. <laughs> I mean, considering the budget of this film, it probably was a nurse's Halloween costume. <laughs> but yeah, he, he, he flashes the eyes, uh, turns on the charm, and she's like, why not? Let's go. So we take a quick trip back to the hotel and we see the police have arrived because of Blaze's, you know, fear or whatever. And they kind of blow her off. Oh, it's just a creep. This kind of stuff happens all the time. But I'll tell you what, if he calls back, just keep him on the line and we can trace the call. So from there, Blaze gets on the phone. She calls up to her room where the sun is. And uh, he really wants to tell her something, but (laughs) she just doesn't want to listen. What a terrible mother. Yeah, she, first of all, he takes forever to answer the phone, which is really annoying, <laughs> but uh, yeah. And yeah, she again tries to just blows him off, man. So then we see him take a handful of pills and, uh-oh. Yeah, what's going on with Blade, or uh, Derek? 
Yeah. So back to the nurse. They, she is now full on making out with a dude who, as she tells us, we've only known each other for 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hey, you want to – she's like reaching up her shirt and she's like, hey, I've only known you for 10 minutes. And he's like – does it matter? Uh, does it matter? <laughs> she's like, tonight? No. So she's a little skeezy nurse for sure. So he puts her up on the table. They start going at it. And we see he has a tape recorder with him. And as It's like hear, a boombox tape recorder, right? Well, because it was 1980. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, outdated technology alert. So <laughs> we hear in the background, Hollywood Hotline is on the radio. And as the countdown goes to midnight in the East Coast. We see him turn on the tape recorder and then pulls a knife out of his back pocket. And right as the count says midnight, boom, ring that bell for number two because Nurse Jane just got stabbed up. Yes, body count number two, switchblade. And can I say that, is there more of an 80s thing than like a switchblade? When's the last time you've seen a switchblade? And he prominently shows it off several times. The yes. idea that it was a switchblade was very cool to, to, to our killer here. Yes, for sure. So our killer, let's just call him Evil, since that's what he called himself. Evil goes to another payphone. He calls the radio show up again and tells uh, Blaze, well, you can find the body at Crawford Sanitarium. So now Ooh. we know where we were. We were in a loony bin. Yeah. And Trent, so he, he talks on the phone he plays that recording for us. So yes, she knows I forgot. Serious. That's a very, very important detail. He actually plays the tape of the murder on air. So now she's rightfully freaked out, and uh, we go back to the ho- to the uh, to the sanitarium where one of the other nurses is like, "Where's Jane? She was supposed to be on shift already." And she eventually discovers Jane's body, calls the cops. Now the cops know the caller is legit as well. Yep. So now it's time to check back in on Derek, who is sitting talking to himself in the mirror and says, quote, I think I have a mental disorder as he takes a knife and cuts up some red pantyhose and puts it over his head. Yeah, another switchblade sighting here, Trent. That was hard to say. Say that three times fast. Switchblade sighting. Um, Yeah, he puts red stockings over his head and acting all weird. Um, Not quite as weird as... uh, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs, but definitely creepy. (laughs) So he also takes the bouquet of roses that he brought for his mother and just starts ripping them up. So Derek's not in a great place. No, he's not in a good place at all. So quick check back in on evil. Now we see he's just changing up his identity. He glues a mustache onto his face. (laughs) At this point, the cops tell Blaze, okay, we found the body. It's exactly where he said it was. He's legit. And now Blaze is afraid. Well, he might have Yvonne. Well, too late. Yeah, too late. Also, Trent, did you find it interesting that he put a disguise on, put a mustache on when nobody has a clear identification of what he looks like? <laughs> like why is he disguising well, himself? I think the idea is because if anybody does spot him, he'll have a different appearance each stop. I think that's okay. the deal. Okay. Because we'll see him change his appearance again a bit later. It's true. I guess it just wasn't explained well enough. And I'm just like, why are you? You got to fill in the blanks. Graham, they only had 85 (laughs) minutes, man. You got to, you can't expect them to do all the work for you. Use some imagination, Graham. Come on. So Blaze, not Blaze, but rather Evil is now in a club. And 
We see him go pick up a lonely woman at the bar. They start, because we had seen another guy pick up a friend. So she's sitting all by herself. So he goes to prey on the vulnerable single woman. Um, and eventually he says, you know, I'm a, I'm a business manager for Eric Estrada. <laughs> I know. a party and uh, we should go. Dude, if you get invited to Eric Estrada's house in 1980, you're, you're going, man. I mean, Chips, baby. <laughs> so uh, just that's how 80s this movie is. is <laughs> Eric Estrada is who they name drop. Yeah. So anyway, she agrees to leave with him to Eric Estrada's party, but says she has to go to the bathroom first. But when she comes walking out, well, guess what? She brought her friend with her. Well, this was an unexpected twist. Yeah, she's got a roommate with her, so kind of a C-block, if you will. But he's like, you know, that's fine. Let's go. So they pile into his Mercedes. Apparently, okay, I have to. I have to is see. doing well for himself. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny because I saw the car and I was like, yes. Um, yeah, it's like an 80, like a 1979 or, or uh, Mercedes 450 SL. I'm going to brag here, Trent. I, I liked it because I have just gotten a new car which is an 89 560 sl so i was like he's driving my car it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> the pr industry pays well i hear <laughs> <laughs> not as well as disney <laughs> <laughs> so from there uh we get to meet our two our two ladies here they are lisa and sally and so sally was the girl that evil was originally trying to pick up and well sally gets to talking and talking and talking, and talking, and talking. <laughs> and at this point, I'm rooting for Sally to get killed. Yes. You're like, please just stop talking. And he's evil is just kind of like, what the hell? Like, just like, stop. <laughs> well, he's also getting pissed because he's like looking at the clock. Because, he, you know, he's working on a deadline here. Like, this chick's got to be dead in six minutes. That's very true. Yeah, he's definitely getting annoyed by multiple things, but probably mostly Sally. So uh, just when it looks like uh, evil is going to miss his deadline by the grace of God or some other force, Lisa <laughs> decides, well, I got to use the restroom. So they pull over to a liquor store and he gives her a hundred dollar bill says, you know, go take care of your business. Also buy a nice bottle of champagne while you're in there. So what a nice guy. So she gets out and I mean, literally not two seconds later, <laughs> him turn on the tape recorder and he asks Sally, Hey, you want to smoke a little bit? She's like, oh, yeah, sure. That was my impression of how annoying she is. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so uh, he's like, hey, you should smell this. This is good stuff. So she leans in to smell the bag of weed, and he puts the bag over her head, suffocates, strangles her. Ring that bell. That's number three. Boom. Body count number three, Sally. Weed kills, Sally. Weed. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so Lisa comes back out of the um, liquor store. The car is gone, but she spots one of Sally's shoes. She grabs it. And then off in the distance, she sees another one. And then she comes up to a dumpster and she sees that Sally's shirt is sticking out of the dumpster. And she's like already crying. She's like, oh no, what's going to happen? <laughs> so she opens the dumpster expecting to find Sally's body. But oh no. Gotcha, because inside it's actually evil. He was playing a game. And you can go ahead and <laughs> ring that bell. That's number four because Lisa gets got. Boom, body count number four. Lisa taking out the trash. 
And that, <laughs> and that was one of the, that was like, we'll talk about this movie. Obviously we're talking about it now, but we'll talk about the, the direction and stuff. But there was a really cool shot of evil with the lighter in yeah. the at a super close up as she looks in there. I don't know. Really cool. That was like, it was, it was that's my favorite shot. So now that he's gotten his midnight kill after all, and it turned out to be his, the daily double, a twofer, he, uh, yeah. he calls back in and plays the new tape of this murder. So of course, at this point, Blaze is completely horrified, but the show must go on. So she keeps, she's not like leaving or, she keeps hosting the show. Dude, um, I put a note in here. So, like, after the first time she hears the murder, the first murder, she, like, immediately goes and starts dancing with the band. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like, she's just like, okay, well, there's a guy out there killing people. And I don't know if it's because of me, but he's telling me. Yeah, and she just goes about, it's a live show, man. Come on. So now we check back in with Evil, who is now uh, back into his Mercedes, and uh, he is. We see that he has got like a like a, 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 a priest costume that he has put on, and he comes upon a group of bikers, and uh, they have a little argument. And uh, as he is adjusting his tie or whatever, I don't know what the proper term is. It's like uh, his collar for his yeah uh, the collar thing. I, I know I'm sure there's a proper term for it. Forgive yeah. me, I'm not Catholic. I don't know what it is. But the collar <laughs> thing that the priest has on, you know, the little white thing. He's looking down and he's adjusting it to try to make it match the picture. And he's not paying attention. So he slams right into the back of the bikers that he just got into an argument with. So at this point, it is on. So he <laughs> puts it in reverse. He takes off. The bikers start chasing him. And uh, Evil's in trouble. He is in trouble. And where would you go if you were in trouble? <laughs> How about the drive-in theater? Because it's 1980. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, love drive-in theaters. There's one locally here for me. Um, yeah, he pulls in there real quick to get away. Like, it's funny. They're following him, but they're, like, pretty far behind him to not... Yeah. I, I don't know. He has enough time to go park and hide and, uh, yeah, whatever. So, for some reason, he thinks he's safe, even though we could clearly see them following him. <laughs> so, he's kind of hanging out at the drive-in. And he sees the uh, the bikers come in and they split up. They're trying to search for his car. It's like, uh-oh, I got to get out of here. So he takes off on foot. And wouldn't you know it, he runs smack dab into one of the bikers. It's like, hey, man, I'm a man of the cloth. I'm a preacher. Psych, switchblade to the gut. Ring that bell. That's number five. I don't even remember. Number five. Five. Boom. Body count number five. I just put dead biker because he never gets a name. Doesn't get a name. <laughs> So now, in need of a car, he sees two teenagers getting hot and heavy in the back seat of, a, of another vehicle at the drive-in. So he kicks the dude out, but he needs the girl because he needs his next victim. So he takes off with the girl in the back seat. And I felt so bad for this girl because oh, of what I happens know. next. You know, obviously, she's freaking out. She's crying. She says, you know, just don't hurt me. I don't have a lot of money, but here's three dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which in 1980, um, I don't know. That's like an hour's wage, right? <laughs> then it gets even worse because she says, "We can even get it on if you want, and I won't put up a big fuss." She is now offering oh, to no. let him rape her. I know. As long as he doesn't kill her. Yeah. But that's not good enough. God. 
Shame on you, writer, for, for writing that in. That's just sad. Now, to the girl's luck, uh, they almost run into some folks on the side of the road. So he pulls over, and this gives her a chance to take off on foot. They're like a park or whatever. So then he takes off after her. Meanwhile, the bikers obviously called the cops. They're aware of the car. So the cops didn't see the car, and now the cops are chasing the guy. So we got two different chases going on. Yeah, but he's also like five minutes from midnight in Aspen. So he, he's got to meet his quota here, right? Absolutely. So eventually, he tracks her down, like right in front of some kind of uh, field or whatever, because there's like bleachers set up and whatnot. So he's tapping on the bleachers with the switchblade, you know, just getting her attention. And like the exact moment that he figures out her hiding place, the cops show up. So luckily, yes, this, this girl is spared. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, this poor girl. Um, gets saved. The cops are like, hey, what are you doing there? And he's like, all right, better bolt. Yeah, I was, I was happy to see that. <laughs> so unfortunately, Evil misses his Mountain Time deadline. There's no kill for the Mountain, uh, mountain Time Midnight. Nobody counts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is called Body Count. We do celebrate, um, in a way, you know, fun horror films. But, yeah, you just kind of feel bad for this girl. So now back at the hotel, uh, the police get on the microphone at the show. They announce to the audience the, that the floor has been shut off. If you leave, you can't come back. No one's coming in. Uh, and we're shutting this place down. Yeah, they're total lockdown because we know that um, the killer, you know, there's a little bit of dialogue. Like, you know, he's... He's a, obviously a deranged person, and it's his fantasy to fulfill his killing by killing you. Or so. I don't know yes. how he's so this conjuring is, all this. So this, with, is, this is backstage. A, psychologist, a criminal psychologist has shown up yeah. and said basically that he, his theory is that the killer's plan is to make her the kill for midnight on the West Coast. Yeah, and he like drops some like serial killer names like Son of Sam and right, um, which you have yeah. to remember that was pretty recent at the time of this at that this. Film. Oh yeah, so this would have been a reference that the audience immediately picked up on. Right. So yeah, totally timely for that. So, meanwhile, while this is going on, we get some cut shots back and forth of Derek with his <laughs> pantyhose on and. To complete the ensemble, he's added some, like, eyeglasses that make him look like Cyclops from the X-Men. <laughs> it's just weird, man. It's totally so he's weird. He's, like, creeping around the corner and then eventually loses his nerve and, and leaves. Yeah. So now, Evil, proving the cops immediately right, has arrived to the hotel. And we see the cops out front. They're not letting anybody in, like they had just said. So Evil's got to come up with another plan. How do I get inside? So he goes around to the side entrance. There's two cops. We see one go inside. So Evil smartly makes a diversion by standing behind a beam and yelling, hey, cop, I think I got a drunk over here. Yeah, he's acting like he's another cop. He's like, hey, buddy, got yeah. a drunk. He, he uses like a, a southern voice. I don't know. Yeah. So the other cop, the, the remaining cop, comes to, uh, comes to check it out. And when he gets there, he's met with a brick to the back of the head. So in my original notes, 
I thought this was a kill because how do you get hit in the back of the head with a brick and not die? But later dialogue tells us, no, he just got knocked out cold. So no, no bell here. No bell here. You know, he's a good guy. He's a priest. He didn't, you know. <laughs> so now he is still, so next we see is evil has stolen the cop's uh, uniform and gun and just casually strolls on in like he belongs. Yeah. Undetected. They're just like, Hey, Never seen you before, but go on ahead. You're a cop. <laughs> so he walks straight inside, and it's clear that this whole thing was planned out because he has, like, a suitcase waiting for him. And he starts yeah. changing, and he puts on a costume. And uh, we go back. We check in on Blaze, and she's decided that she needs to go back upstairs. She needs to take a break, and she needs to change. Yeah, um, like you said, our killer evil has planned this whole thing out. Like you said, he's got a chest full of goodies there. And, um, and yeah, I mean, this guy had it all planned. So we know that he definitely, definitely, I guess the cop psychologist is right. I don't know what I'm rambling about, but yeah, let's go. <laughs> so back upstairs, the, one of the officers refused to let blaze go to a room alone. So he goes into the room first, he's pointing the gun and he winds <laughs> up pointing the gun at Derek who rightfully freaks out. And she's like, no, no, don't shoot him. That's my son. <laughs> so uh, the, the, she's like, oh, you know, I need to change. Officer, can you step outside? And from there, we get a nice little shot of we see that Evil is now in the room. He's got a clown mask on. He's wearing a jumpsuit. It's like Evil Knievel suit, <laughs> but it's so, not. So <laughs> he takes off the mask, and she turns around, and she's like, hey, Richard what she knows the killer and we find out what that evil is in fact richard sullivan her husband Ooh, big twist here yeah um uh, can you describe the mask like i said it was like it was like a it's like a creepy yeah like a weird clown creepy mask. clown yeah. mask okay okay yeah it, it was definitely creepy but yeah so he never dons a mask before um, but for some reason puts it on then it's like they like we're halfway filming and we're like we need a mask in this <laughs> and so they're like all right this is a perfect time merchandise we gotta have <laughs> merchandising opportunities <laughs> so uh blaze uh oh, oh i should say that after the cop pointed the gun at derek derek took off in a fit so blaze tells richard hey go find derek and we see Richard, instead of going to find his son, uh, goes back to his little play chest. And Macaulay Culkin would be proud because he starts <laughs> hot wiring stuff. And we can see he's got a camera in the elevator and he set it up to where now he can control the elevator. Yeah, he's got a live feed of inside the elevator and he's clamping some electrical stuff, got a little screwdriver thing going on. And yeah, he can control that elevator now. So what's going to happen next? <laughs> Back downstairs, the cops have put two and two together. They've traced the Mercedes back to Richard. They know it's him. He had told one of the cops, hey, you know, I'm Richard Sullivan. I'm her husband. The manager said, let me in. The manager's like, no, I didn't. So now the police like, oh, snap, this is our dude. This is the killer. Yeah, they haven't yet radioed that up to the other cop that's with Blaze at this point, though. So now, Blaze and the other cop who was accompanying her this whole time, they get on the elevator to go back downstairs, and Richard starts having his fun. Yeah, he starts 
I don't know anything about elevators or electronics in this way, but he like clamps something on there and uses a screwdriver and somehow is manipulating yeah. the elevator to drop. Yeah, it basically makes the elevator free fall, yeah. crash landing. They both fall. They're both injured from the fall. Uh, he's waiting for them at the, at the first floor. <laughs> the elevator door opens. He kicks the cop in the face. <laughs> yeah, just like, like boot. <laughs> like boot, straight to the face. Drags him out. But Blaze is unaware because she's like fainted. Yeah, she's like in a daze. Yeah. And so at this point, you know, he gets in and she thinks, oh, yay, Richard, you're here to comfort me. And he begins a little, uh, in my notes, I called it a psycho rant. Yeah, it's like a, a bad monologue. <laughs> so I think we should hear a little bit of it, don't you? Yes, let's do it. You're really something, aren't you? You're a real trooper. Show sure must go on, huh? Well, tonight, the show's going to go on without you. So those were the big evil plans. You see what I did there? Evil plans. <laughs> so at this point, uh, she is now caught up to speed. Richard is the killer. She knows it. The cops know it. Uh-oh. So after Richard um, confesses, basically revealing himself to be the killer and saying that you've been neglecting my son and I, he's like, you're not going to make it, but I'm going to take my son, Derek, to the Rose Bowl oh, this game. Was <laughs> this was great. This was great. The Rose Bowl game. <laughs> and we're going to let you sleep in. <laughs> yeah. Like what? I mean, what a good dad, right? He's taking him to the Rose Bowl. Well, he also reveals he's very proud of Derek because you see Derek tried to tell you he had this big surprise that, you know, he went to this audition. He didn't even use the last name Sullivan and he earned this role on his own. He didn't use any of these connections and you just blew him off. And that's just not right. And women are evil. <laughs> yeah. Women are evil. Right. So from there, he starts preparing for the grand kill. And when I say grand kill, I mean, he <laughs> was going out with a bang. Yeah. So, he strips her of all of her jewelry. He takes her, he handcuffs her to a chain and that is connected to the bottom of the elevator. Yeah, he somehow, he, he, uh, the elevator door is open. He manipulates yes. the elevator to go up to where he could chain her to the bottom of it. So, yes. so then she can dangle in the shaft. It was kind of cool, I mean, cool, it was I guess. elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wow, this guy. We're going to find out he's an elevator tech. And, and he really knows what he's doing because he set it up where on the inside of the elevator shaft, right where she gets to the peak, she's face to face with Yvonne's decapitated head. Yes. So we officially know Yvonne is dead if you didn't already. Um, yeah, that was kind of interesting there. So she goes all the way up. And what happens when you go all the way up, Trent? You got to come back down. <laughs> so unfortunately, though, there happens to be a drunken couple on the elevator at this moment. <laughs> And so she's yelling, obviously. So they hear her. He's like, the dude's like, there's some funky stuff going on. So he starts like pounding the like stop button or all the, you know, hitting every floor. And at about this moment, the cops show up and we have a shootout. And uh, during the course of the shootout, the circuit board gets hit. And this causes the elevator to stop right before crash landing on top of uh, Blaze. Yeah, this, this nice little shootout ensues, like you said. 
Um, you can't make this stuff up. They, they shoot, ping, the little screwdriver falls out of <laughs> the circuit box, stopping Blaze before she um, suffers a horrible death, really. So now Evil, with his grand plan foiled, takes off running up the staircase. The cops chase after him. He stops. He shoots one of them on the arm, or the shoulder, I should say. Uh, he makes it to the roof of the building. He pulls back out the mask. And at this point, two cops catch up to him. They tell him, you know, drop your weapon. So he pulls out the gun. He lays it down. He pulls out the switchblade. He lays it down. And then he looks. And they're like, you're not going to do it. And he does it. He <laughs> jumps off the building. Ring that bell. That's number six. It's a suicide. I don't think we've had a suicide yet, but here we go. Suicide by the plunge. Yeah. Body count number six. Richard goes splat. Um, this is before Die Hard, so it was kind of very Die Hard-esque of the, the plummeting off a tall building in Hot Los Gruber. Angeles, right? <laughs> We're in Los Angeles off of a tall building, yeah. Don't tell me this was Nakatomi Plaza. <laughs> so anyway, waiting at the bottom, you know, uh, like, like Grandfather eloquently put it, evil goes splat. So crowd gathers around, and in the crowd, there's Derek mourning over his father's death. He grabs the, uh, he unmasks the body. He takes the mask with him. And we see Blaze is being loaded into an ambulance. And we see the EMT, you know, hey, we're ready. He, he pounds on the, on the front. Hey, we're ready to go. We get a pan up to the front cab. We see there's an EMT dead. He's got his throat slit. So ring that bell one more time. Number Ooh, seven. Body count number seven. Poor EMT. Poor EMT. And we see Derek is sitting in the driver's seat of the ambulance with the mask on and <laughs> credits roll. Wow. That is 1980s New Year's Evil. A um, little bit to unpack here, Trent. Um, is there? Where do you want to start? Oh, I have many places. Um, <laughs> so this is clearly the worst movie we've ever reviewed. Um, I mean, there's... I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but there's virtually no redeeming qualities to this film. It's not, it's not good enough to be, you know, like a, like a classic, but it's not bad enough to be campy either. Yes, this is exactly how I put it in my notes. I said, you know, Trent, this is not what we would call a horror masterpiece. And, you know, it's poorly acted, poorly shot. Um, it's pretty cheesy. And it's really lacking really other... You know, other than the fact it's lacking motive, other than the fact, you know, Blaze is too busy with her career. Like that's, I get, that's the whole motive, but it, it just seems kind of lacking there. And you put it right. Like it's definitely what you would consider a B horror film, but it lacks that fun or any gore or any silliness that like B horror films that you, you know, that you like to watch out of the cringe. It's just, it's just bad. <laughs> so Graham, time to play my favorite part of the show. <clears throat> What's the tomato meter say? Oh, yes. Let me do a guess here. Um, I know that this was had to have been poorly, poorly received. Come on. You don't think this was this was certified fresh? <laughs> no, I think this went splat like Richard did. Um, let's go with like a 40. Is, is that good? I don't tell me that. You got to tell me the tomato reader. Like it would 40 be considered horrible or would that be like decent? I mean, 40. That's where you're going to find most of the like Friday the 13th movies. OK, yeah, this is like a 20. Actually, it's like a 14. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely the worst and lowest rated film we've done so far. 
Now, to be fair, because this was a relatively small film, there were only seven contemporaneous reviews. And yes, that was my uh, $3 word of the day. <laughs> contemporaneous, meaning at the time, uh, there were only seven reviews. And so that 14 basically means of the seven critics who liked it or who watched it, one liked it. Ouch. And guess what? Our favorite reviewer happened to be one of those seven. I was yes. afraid because of the <laughs> scale of this movie that Roger Ebert wouldn't have reviewed it. But I was happy to find out that Roger Ebert did, in fact, review it. Dude, I, we've talked about it. He's by far my favorite and your favorite reviewer, um, you know, RIP. And it's just like, did he just watch everything? <laughs> I mean, pretty much. Except there was like a whole thing where he refused to watch Scott Pilgrim versus the world, which like pissed a bunch of people off, but he would never review Scott Pilgrim versus the world for some reason. All right. Well, he reviewed this one. What did he say? So uh, for those of you unaware, Roger Ebert grades on a zero through four star scale. And, you know, he actually wasn't, wasn't that harsh on it. Gives it one and a half stars. And he says, quote, New Year's Evil is not, I repeat, a good movie or even a very good thriller. It's just barely competent. But at least it subscribes to the old-fashioned standards of traditional schlock. So, I mean, like you said, not good, but he didn't hate it. Yeah, so on Wikipedia, his, what will become his partner, Gene Siskel, gave the film zero stars. <laughs> and he called it a hideously ugly motion picture. So... There you have both sides of Siskel and Ebert. Ebert liking it a little bit more, surprisingly. Yes. So, Graham, do you have any bloody bitch you want to get into? You know, if you guys, and Trent, if you can imagine, this film um, obviously didn't have any follow-ups. It doesn't have a ton of bloody bits, but I have a couple here. Um, I mentioned it earlier. So, you know, one of the several themed horror films that followed the success of Halloween 1980 the notable difference here, Trent, is the murderer's face is revealed early on, like really early on, and he isn't masked until the end of the movie, so I guess they went backwards there. I know we're going to talk about our cast, and I have a bloody bit about our star, so do you want to start, uh, do you want to do director, writer, um, and then go to cast, and I can give my, my second and only of two of two bloody bits? All right, sure. Let's take a look at the director. Emmett Alston did a terrible job. Yes, you didn't do a good job, Emmett. Um, looked up his IMDb. This was his second feature. Um, all of these seem bad. His other credits include Nine Deaths of the Ninja, Tiger Shark, Demon Warp, Force of the Ninja, and Little Ninjas. So he had like this ninja thing going on. Um, yeah, I clicked on one of them, Force of the Ninja. It has a 2.9 with 37 votes on IMDb. So his movies were few seen and bad. And by the way, when I say he did a bad job, I'm not just saying that because the plot sucked, although he was, he did get a story by credit, so he's partially responsible for the plot. I'm saying <laughs> as an actual technical director, he did a terrible job because you can see, like we talked about earlier, this is a very low budget film. All throughout the film, there are several times where you can see like shadows of like camera operators and boom mics and yeah. stuff in the background of shots. So just technically speaking, he did a terrible job. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a runtime of 85 minutes, and there's a part doing, during the film where we're at the, the countdown, the, the live cast, and there's just, like, four minutes of just, like, showing the crowd just, like... 
Oh yeah, there's like there's like the, <laughs> there's a full musical performance in this movie. Yes, and they're just kind of like grooving, and it's like, all right, this is definitely filler to like f- try to get to ninety minutes. And his partner in crime, and I don't <laughs> say that with any bit of sarcasm, would be Leonard Neubauer, who gets the other story by credit and gets the screenplay credit here. Again, not the best performance. No, and this was the last film he wrote, so this might have killed his career. (laughs) Sorry, Leonard. Um, I think he's gone now, so anyway. Yeah, uh, bad job by writer and director. Just bad. Bad, bad, bad. Bad. And I like always we always like to talk about the box office gross. There's no report. There's no box office. (laughs) There was no box office. I did find out though, and it's not really a bloody bit, but um, TMC uh, or TCM Turner Classic Movies um, has property rights to this and does air it on occasion. Um, So, you know, it's gotten some play over the years. Well, I'll tell you why. It's because it has the great title. This was a movie. So this is one of those movies where the title was absolutely come up with before the plot of the film. That's 100% what happened here. Yeah, New Year's, New Year's Evil is a cool title. There's a song that coincides with it. Yeah, oh, that, um, that's a good point. There was an actual song called New Year's Evil that yeah. we saw. That was the big performance, actually. Yeah, and it was and a decent song. Somehow, this film not only got like VHS and DVD releases, it even got a Blu-ray release in 2015. Like People are still <laughs> like actively promoting this. And, by the way, you can go watch this on Amazon Prime right now because that's how I watched it. This yes. is available to stream. I was so delighted when I found out it was on Amazon Prime. I didn't have to find other ways to watch this. Yeah, I, thought I wasn't going to go, go buy to some it. sneaky third-party websites, but no, it's available <laughs> on Amazon Prime. Yeah, so we will encourage you to check it out on Amazon Prime. Trent, uh, I like to read taglines here. Do you want to hear the tagline of this one? Oh, please do. Don't dare make New Year's resolutions unless you plan to live. I mean, it's better than anything in the movie. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's jump into that cast real quick. So like we said, our lead character here, Diane Blaze Sullivan, is portrayed by Roz Kelly, most famous as Pinky Tuscadero, and she's the most famous person in this cast. And, well, that's quite frankly not saying much. Yeah, you know, I did – so the, my bloody bit for, for Roz Kelly was – so the star of this film, Roz Kelly – I bet you didn't know this, Trent, was arrested for shooting up cars in a neighbor's apartment after a car alarm went off early morning and woke her up in November of 1998. Well, there you go. (laughs) So Mrs. Kelly had a rough go of it after, uh, I don't know. I mean, she's at an apartment complex. You know, everybody has had those noisy neighbors. Have you ever thought to shoot up the car that was going off? Uh, No, I have not. (laughs) So uh, next up, portraying Richard Evil Sullivan was Kip Niven, who, I mean, frankly, he has a Wikipedia page, and I don't know why, because I'm looking at his credits here, and I can safely say of the 20 or so films listed, I've never heard of any of them. No, he did some TV, a TV show called Alice, which he ended up marrying the star of, um, who was Linda Lavin. She was very, uh, she won two Golden Globes. So we ended up marrying her. He was a guest appearance on that. Um, yeah, looking at the rest of his credits, I mean, he was in Magnum Force. That's a Clint Eastwood film. Um, but yeah, I don't know a lot about this guy. And 
we can just move on to the next. <laughs> well, really, the only other person who gets any kind of significant screen time would be Grant Kramer as their son, Derek. And again, looking at his filmography, this was his, this was his debut film. And you'll be shocked to know it did not lead to a lot of big things. Uh, he would go on to star in, however, one film that is very well known. Do you know what I'm referring to, Graham? Uh, no. He was a member of the cast of Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Wow. Um, we might have to review that at some point. Yeah, this was uh, a, a, a sci-fi channel a specialty that used to play it all the time. I believe... Mr. Science Theater 3000 uh, did a review of it. Great. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Although, he's actually, if you can believe this, he is still active. He's got some movie coming out this year called Willie's Wonderland. Yeah, he's still active. Um, he did a short film called Say Goodnight Michael in 2000 that actually won the Grand Jury Prize at the New York International Independent Film and Video Festival. So he's still in the biz he uh, has some production credits as well. So, um, you know, shout out uh, to you, Mr. Grant Kramer. Um, just oh. did a horrible job in this movie. And I just got some wonderful news, Graham. Just absolutely wonderful news. Apparently, Grant Kramer is producing a sequel to Killer Clowns from Outer Space called Return of the Killer Clowns from Outer Space in 3D. <laughs> and starring according to IMDb so that's going to be fun get this in the August 2019 Fox sell to Disney they acquired the rights <laughs> along with my rights <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I, I will you know we, we, we don't have to debate which is more valuable me or killer clowns but <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so looking at the rest of the cast it's basically all the victims who were basically all playmates. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you know, uh, Chris Wallace played Lieutenant Ed Clayton, um, who has a role in here, but it's completely forgettable. Um, he, he could basically have just been any other cop. Uh, the agent um, is played by, let's see. What's the agent's name? Do you remember the agent's name, Trent? Ed? No, that was the other guy. I don't even know the agent's name. So yeah, you're right. Nobody really notable. It doesn't. This is a three character movie. I mean, that's <laughs> that's it. We had the Sullivan family. That was it. Oh well, you know, I don't have a lot more on this. Um, like really? Trent said before, you can see it for yourself on Amazon Prime, and tell us what you think. Of New Year's yes, Evil. Please, uh, <laughs> on social media, please uh, let us know what you think of this because we really want, want somebody else to watch this movie with us because this is uh, this was something. Yes, so, this was definitely uh, something. On Instagram, at Body Count Show, please let us know what you thought of this movie. But with that in mind, it's time to turn our attention to the next episode of Body Count. And unfortunately, Graham, it seems we have run out of holidays. Yes, until... Valentine's Day, I guess. And I'm already making a list. Can't but wait. So until then, I had to do some digging. I had to do some thinking. Like, what would be appropriate to, to do next? And I've come up with three options for you, Graham. Whew. 
So first off, I still feel like we need to do a proper Jason Voorhees movie. So the first, because of course we did the original Friday the 13th, but that's not actually a Jason Voorhees movie. That's a Pamela Voorhees movie. That's a great point. So the first movie I'm going to nominate, and by the way, I looked at the calendar. We don't have another Friday the 13th until August. So if we wait, it's going to be a while. So I'm saying let's consider Friday the 13th part two. Okay. Like it. So then I thought, well, what else would make sense? And I thought, well, I wonder if any good horror movies were released during January. And to my happiness, I found two choices. Yeah. So first off, from 2006, was released on January 6, 2006. So, uh, spoiler alert, people, we actually record these shows in advance. We're not doing it live. So we're recording <laughs> this on January 6th. So exactly 15 years ago today, the movie Hostel was released, directed by Eli Roth. Ooh, okay. So that is our second option, is Hostel. Another movie, a little bit more recent that we could consider, how about for the five-year anniversary, released in January 2016, The Boy, which actually had a sequel, The Boy 2, just came out last year. So uh, are, you, are you familiar with The Boy, Graham? I'm not. Tell us a little bit about The Boy. So this is actually, uh, I don't want to give away my, my cards here, but this was a fun concept where basically a, a girl moves into a house uh, to look after it because the couple is like going on a, on a trip or whatever, and uh, they need somebody to watch their son. But the son is a plastered doll. Oh. But maybe he's alive. That's okay. I'm telling you, it's better than it sounds. <laughs> and I probably didn't do it justice. There's probably people uh, listening to this podcast like right now, like, oh, you could have described it so much better. But uh, it was a fun movie. So. Okay, so folks, if you're listening, uh, sorry if my audio changes here. We just ran into a little technical issue, but uh, we plow on because we're almost at the end of the show. So to recap, Graham, I'm giving you three choices. Number one, we see Jason Voorhees in action with Friday the 13th Part 2. Number two, we celebrate the 15-year anniversary of Eli Ross Hostel. Or number three, you take the plunge and you believe me and we watch The Boy. I, you know, you sold me. Let's watch The Boy. All right. So there you go. Two weeks from now, we will do an episode on The Boy. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, I'm excited. I haven't heard of this film. I haven't seen this movie. So this will be, I'll be going in blind. So um, yeah, excited. And, to. And like I said, they just released a sequel last year. Um, the sequel starred Katie Holmes, if you can believe that. Uh, she's wow. not in the original. Um, but yeah, so The Boy, it is. So uh once again you know graham you want to tell everybody about our instagram account yeah so um follow us on instagram at body count show we love to hear from you guys uh you'll see some of our graphics from the films we're going to post trent's new birthday gift of his bobblehead michael myers and yeah follow us on instagram at body count show we can't wait to hear from you there and so with that in mind we will see you all in two weeks thanks guys